So before we get into our episode that we recorded a couple of weeks ago, we wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and countless black lives at the hands of police officers. Quite frankly, white supremacy and police brutality have always been a problem, and we can no longer be silent. Black lives matter. And these issues are also pervasive in the film industry. I know a lot of people have been speaking out on social media. Twitter's been like a crazy storm just of content, which I'm loving. One of the things that has come about is the story about Selma. And David Oyelowo opened up in a recent interview, which was later corroborated by Ava DuVernay on Twitter, um, about Selma's award circuit response. So back in 2014, the release of Selma coincided with Eric Garner's murder, who was a New York resident accused of a petty crime and who died after being placed in a chokehold by police. The cast and crew of Selma wore I Can't Breathe t-shirts to protest, and Academy members did not like this one bit. They called the studio saying they wouldn't vote for the film because, quote, we don't think it is their place to be doing that. So in the end, Selma was completely shut out of any BAFTA noms, received an Oscar nom for Best Picture, and one for Original Song, but I think it deserved more. It definitely deserved more. And when I saw this story on Twitter, I was horrified and unfortunately not surprised based on what we know about the Academy. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that while the Academy sometimes will give us these temporary glimmers of hope, like Moonlight winning Best Picture and Black Klansman and Spike Lee finally winning an Oscar for screenplay and Get Out and Black Panther getting nominated. This work is far from over. The voting body is still predominantly white and they continue to praise and prop up movies with racist and white savior narratives like The Help, which is trending on Netflix right now. Please don't watch The Help. And then, of course, the infamous Best Picture winners, Crash and Green Book. So still a lot of work to do. And we also have a lot of work to do, of course. And as this podcast continues, we are going to work to acknowledge our privilege as two white people in this space and make sure that we're continuing to elevate the voices of black filmmakers and creatives that were watching these films, recommending them and having serious discussions, not only about black cinema, but also calling out the racism that we see in the entertainment industry and especially in film awards. And like a lot of people are saying online too, is that these things, the police brutality and all the racial injustice, it's not just starting. It's only because it's being filmed that it's being so widely noticed and that you know ties back to film where you know these recent things happen and i think because we're young maybe i guess for me like i don't know about everything that happened in the oscars history but i know you know hashtag oscars so white didn't just happen yesterday it's been going on for a long time so from here on out maybe you're asking yourself what can you do i think there are a lot of protests going on which is great Uh, You can also donate if you can't go outside. I know COVID is such a big thing during this time, too, and you don't want to get sick. So you can do what you can. There are so many organizations out there against police brutality, you know, for political change and different government organizations um, for the NAACP. There's the ACLU. I have donated to 
the Freedom Fund, the LGBTQ plus Freedom Fund. There are just so many, probably hundreds, and you're not going to go wrong donating to any of these great causes locally and nationally. So small level, big level, you're going to make a difference. Uh, what else can we do? You know, this is a film pod, so we're going to bring in movies. Uh, the Criterion Channel has lifted their paywall, and they have a great series titled Pioneers of African American Cinema. I need to check that out. And then a slew of films just on different platforms. Netflix has 13th by Ava DuVernay, also by her When They See Us, which is great. The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. And then on Prime, we have the Black Power mixtape, which a friend had recommended to me. So I am going to be watching that soon. I Am Not Your Negro. And then Ken Burns's The Central Park Five. And Just Mercy and Selma, which were made free for the whole month of June on, I think, a few platforms, but I know they're available on Prime. And then Canopy, which we've talked about before too, has dedicated entire sections with titles like Celebrate Black Music, Pioneering Black Filmmakers, and Social and Systemic Injustice. So by no means are these lists complete. Go ahead, do your research, find some great films, and recommend them to us because I know I don't know about everything out there either. So definitely recommend them to us. One thing that I've been doing this week in preparation for Spike Lee's new film that's coming out Friday is I've been going through his filmography and rewatching some and I just rewatched Do the Right Thing. It holds up. It's perfect. It is so prescient and just an amazing film. And if you haven't seen that yet, I highly recommend Spike, of course, is one of the pioneering black filmmakers we'll continue to talk about. And in fact, our next episode that will be coming out next week will be all about Spike's new film, To Five Bloods. Cannot wait to see it. So excited for that. So excited. Yeah, we've talked about it. Well, (laughs) Well, it's coming on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you'll hear a little bit about it. And yeah, only a couple more days and we'll get to see it. So we'll see you guys back here soon to talk about that. Also, we'll mention a few of Spike Lee's best films. So I'm definitely going to get on that and watch some of the ones I haven't seen too. Can't wait for that. So thank you guys. Hang in there. Be well and enjoy this episode. Stay safe. Black Lives Matter. Enjoy guys. Hey everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rearcrow. And today we have a really exciting episode for you. There have been a lot of changes that have been happening in the Academy, so we're really excited to dive into all of those. And then we will be giving you our way too early 2021 best picture predictions. Are you ready? (laughs) We're always ready. That's what we're here for. We're always thinking about the Oscars and even though things have been crazy lately I'm still really excited for what is still hopefully coming out I know we'll get into certain pictures but I think we still will have a strong year yeah and I feel like it's so nice because it's like one thing I can really look forward to that I'm just holding out hope for is all of these movies coming out and I think initially I was really hopeful about being ready for theaters, but now that it seems like that's not the case and you'll get into some of the rule changes, but I'm just excited to see some of these movies just on streaming. I mean, Christopher Nolan is still super gung-ho about being open for July, and I don't know if 
as certain states open up before others, I don't know if movie theaters are going to end up opening and then what are they going to show? Are they are only some states going to show movies or, you know, are they going to push back their dates again? So there's definitely an interesting dynamic going on between filmmakers who, again, we've talked about this before, but want their movie shown, deciding if they want them on VOD or just delaying them entirely. Yeah. And even if some states do open up their theaters without those major markets like New York and LA who are still on stay at home orders, Tenet has a $200 million budget. Like even if some theaters (laughs) open, that's not going to make back that money. So this seems like it's not going to work out for him in the long run, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think I read something recently about how the New York and LA markets make up 20 or 40% of the domestic budget, which is huge. And they're both closed for now. So not looking good for Tenet in that <laughs> respect, but Wild. hopefully Tenet will perform well with awards if we can see it that way. But we'll get there. We're jumping ahead as always. Right, we'll, we'll get there <laughs> for sure. So I guess starting off with Uh, some of the new Oscar rules, the Board of Governors, they announced on, it was like April 28th of this year, they've made a couple announcements, but their first one, they lifted the seven day theatrical release for eligible films that was required to happen in LA County. So they took that away. And they are now including films that had an original theatrical run planned but are now only on either VOD or streaming. So they also issued another statement along with this, and I'll read part of it. It says, On a date to be determined by the Academy and when theaters reopen, this rule exemption will no longer apply. All films released thereafter will be expected to comply with the standard Academy theatrical qualifying requirements. So this is really interesting because once the states are given the go-ahead to open movie theaters, they're going to put this rule back saying that you need to have a theatrical run. They changed the rule a little bit, adding certain cities and not just in L.A. County. So New York City, the Bay Area, Chicago, Miami, and Atlanta will all qualify for this run in the future. And I think that's important in telling of, one, where the movie industry is going to go related to awards, but also just allowing more people to view these movies and not just, you know, being the snobs that (laughs) we are living in New York or LA who are so excited to have, you know, the privilege of watching these movies. But um, now more people are going to get to see them and comment on them before they're readily available, usually the following year, like in January or February. So what do you think about all this? I think that the city expansion is super interesting. Like you said, allowing people to have the opportunity to see these films early and not a month later than New York and LA, I think is really cool and kind of really expands viewership of these types of films. I also am curious thinking about when the VOD streaming rule, what types of films will this benefit? And I think it can actually be really beneficial for documentaries and smaller films because these films are easier to watch at home and can really capture your attention in a way that a three and a half hour movie might not. And it might not be a film that you need that theatrical experience for. I also think what's curious is that 
a lot of these studios are still kind of slated and we'll talk about the dates but for that typical fall and winter awards calendar release and if things go really well and somehow things change and these rules are lifted and now theaters need to put social distancing precautions in place still so I think there's a lot to think about here and we'll see what happens the other thing that that you made me think of is that release dates for films are made so far in advance and now they're pushing them back in this really shortened deadline if all these movies come out in a chunk you know how is a viewer going to decide i mean someone who wants to go see a movie is going to go see a movie but in terms of budget and like a film side of things and how they want they want people to go see their film first on a list of all these movies rushing to be out how is that going to happen well the hard part too is like people like you and me who obsess over these things and have a podcast about the oscars right (laughs) want to go see every movie in theater that has this you know huge buzz around it and we're so excited to see but if you're the type of person who goes to a movie once a month and you're already a little nervous about going back to the theater, how are you going to choose? And then what do those box office numbers look like to people who are awards voting bodies? Um, What does critical reception look like? All of that and how it just has this, I don't even know what to call it because we've really never been in a place like this. So our next change that we have too, that I thought was really interesting because I know that the Academy They've been talking about this for quite some time now, but last month the Academy announced that they were merging the categories of best sound editing and best sound mixing into one category, best sound. I think that the response to the combination is mixed within the industry, specifically within that branch, but I think most people do view this pretty positively. And I actually read this article in the LA Times that was really interesting that an email actually went out in December, so before kind of all of this started happening, and they made a case in the email for consolidation, and what they did was they pointed out a couple of things. So the first was they pointed out how frequently the two awards actually went to the same film. So in the 13 years that these two categories had existed, eight times the both Oscars went to the same film. They also pointed out that every year at least one film was nominated in both categories. So a lot of times we do see that overlap. So they pointed that out there. In six of the 13 years, the same person was actually nominated for both sound editing and sound mixing. So there is a really clear overlap. What I'm curious about here is just how the creatives feel about being recognized or not being recognized because... There is a big difference between someone who is a sound mixer, someone who's a sound editor, the people who go back in and re-record. So I'm curious how they think about that. What do you think about this change? I think I I probably had a similar reaction to people who study this more than the average viewer. Because I I know, especially with this last year's Oscars, you kind of go back and forth between the categories and figuring out what's different between them, especially when a lot of them are nominated in both categories. So noticing those slight differences might not mean a lot for the general population who's you know, going to pick one movie that says, oh yeah, I really like that sound. I think they should win. One thing that I liked about having the two separate categories was 
I am, and you are too, I know, one of those people who think the Oscars should be all day long. If we have to watch the Super Bowl for that long, the Oscars can be just a day-long marathon. Like, go grab a plate of food, come back in, just have a party. (laughs) And I think that it's important to learn about different technical categories. It's also important to get people in the door and to get people to watch the show as well. And if the people actually in the industry are really behind this, then that's kind of all I need to support the change as well. Yeah. I mean, even I've been confused a lot of the times I have to constantly like say in my head, okay, editing is this mixing is this even when I'm like watching a movie and trying to figure out which I like more. But like you said, I think, you know, giving more people a shot at an award is important too. Well, another thing too is, We've had so many different changes that actually have happened over the years. It just There haven't been too many in recent memory, I would say, for us watching. But the Oscars have been changing forever. I mean, we used to have some wild awards, and we used to not even have the Best Supporting Actor. So <laughs> they always That's change. true. It's just kind of going with the times. I mean, maybe they'll go back. They'll change it again eventually. Who knows? But... Another part of this that I thought was really interesting is that I think the the rule before was that six statuettes can still be awarded to the film based on the people contributing to the category. But now it's it's still six statuettes given to up to one sound mixer, up to two sound editors, and up to three re-recording mixers for this one movie. So in essence, you are kind of awarding everybody at the same time now which I think just makes you think at the category a little differently. You kind of have to, you know, as before where a lot of these films between the editing and mixing were competing, say, like war movies versus musical heavy movies, um, original songs. It'll be interesting to see which five they narrow it down to now and which get kicked out, essentially. If you could pick like one movie today that we think we're going to get this year, that you think will be nominated for the new Best Sound Award, what would you pick? Oh, boy. I mean, it's tough. Like, you have films like Dune and Tenet where I feel like they're going to be one super CGI heavy, but also sound heavy. I mean, those are big. You know, you had Star Wars last year. Yeah, I mean, Tenet was my first one that I thought of, but then Dune being that big sci-fi epic, I'm sure it'll sound fantastic and will be kind of an easy vote for people i mean and then you have like top gun maverick which i can't wait if that comes (laughs) out (laughs) that's a lot of sound heavy material too so i mean no time to die all these big names and even honestly like west side story like a musical right that could be in there totally who knows what that's gonna look like we'll get to that later (laughs) so the next rule change was in original score, they said the eligible films must have 60% original music to them. And then sequels and franchises need 80% new music. I love this rule. I think this is great. Uh, this ties again back to the last Oscars because Rise of Skywalker was nominated and, you know, props to John Williams for having so many nominations. But when I saw the movie, I didn't really notice anything new about it. I mean, each film is going to take its own take on the theme based on how dark it is or, you know, what they're going for. But the Star Wars theme is so well documented and done before. It was like, okay, did we really need to nominate another Star Wars film? So and especially because I thought, say, the farewell score was phenomenal and told such an important part of that story. And that was snubbed to me. 
So I think this will allow different films to be in this category. So I'm really excited. What about you? Yeah, I love this change. I think so. I was not a fan of The Rise of Skywalker, but one thing that my family and I agreed on when we left was that the score was great, at least. I mean, but it's good. Yeah, it I'm was not right. But I don't mean to like bash it. But no, yeah, you're not. I don't think. But it's like with someone like John Williams, who is right, has 52 nominations. Crazy. He's going to be an easy choice for people, and it's much easier when you see John Williams and the Star Wars theme to pick that instead of seeing a movie like The Farewell, which the score does stand out, but you have to do a little bit more work to get there, I think. I hope that this change can only mean that soon we'll have a change to Best Original Song, <laughs> my most hated category Why, though? Oscars. What do you want to change about it? The main thing that I want to change is that I don't think that a song that just plays in the credits at the end to be eligible like that's not a part of the story oh i totally agree title sequences are completely different i love a great opening credit sequence but if a song just plays over the credits as you're walking out of the theater what does that have to do with the i totally agree i i mean going back to your credit sequence i think i mean i mean james bond is such a good example for this right they take such advantage of the the opening credits sequence using a great song and even though it's not in the movie i think that's better than you know having an end credit song anyway sorry to get us off topic <laughs> <I know. laughs> another really exciting change i think is in the international film category so now all academy members are allowed to participate in a preliminary round of voting but they do have to meet minimum viewing requirements to be able to vote in the category. I am all for a minimum viewing requirement. I love this. I mean, the fact that they didn't specify what that minimum requirement is kind of scares me because it could be really low. But moving in the right direction, I love this so much. I think it's necessary because there are a lot of international films that get nominated that only screen in very few theaters and a lot of people don't see them and they're just kind of discredited even though that's one category that goes through a shortlist process and then is you know a final five are chosen so i think this is great i hope there are more academy members that watch more of them and feel more inclined to vote and have a say in what gets chosen just like bong joon ho said an entire world breaks <laughs> out there we'll always come back to him <laughs> But it might be the third time we've mentioned. It's fine. It's just going to happen every every episode. It's been it's been three months since those Oscars. It's crazy. It feels like an eternity ago. How much he mm -hmm. knew about our world. So another thing that listeners might have heard is whether or not the Oscars will actually happen when they're supposed to happen. So. According to a source of variety, it's likely that the Oscars will be postponed. We do want to say, though, like nothing has been confirmed yet. So the Academy hasn't really said anything. This just seems to kind of be generating buzz. And so until we have a confirmation of a change directly from the Academy, the Oscars are still scheduled to be held on February 28th, 2021. So that's what we're sticking with until we hear firm confirmation. We have no insider knowledge. Right. I, I wish we did. <laughs> right. I wonder if they're just trying to use this to see what general opinion is, as they did like the popular Oscar two years ago. Never forget the popular Oscar. <laughs> 
Film Twitter went crazy, crazy and had that outlawed <laughs> immediately. <laughs> So going along with that and the festival circuit, Cannes was finally officially canceled, at least in like a group setting. I know that they'll be a part of this YouTube digital festival next month. But then just a couple days ago, I think Venice announced that it's still happening in September. So they, they're going to have social distancing measures placed. You know, hand washing is going to be big, wearing a mask, which, you know, the other side of things is having talent there and cast and crew and if they feel safe and if they think they should be going to these festivals. And if they don't, you know, their turnout might show badly to fans and people that are there to go see the movie. So it places a lot of strain on so many different parts of this that it's hard to kind of all put together but i hope it's a good thing that it's still happening who knows if you know dare i even say like second wave happens you know things like this that can affect future dates for toronto new york film festival so i mean we just kind of have to take these things a day at a time i'm sure we'll be updating here again with (laughs) more changes eventually right The one thing I don't think will happen, so the first couple of Oscars, they actually combined years. So up until 1934, so the Oscars were two-year Oscars. So they would do the films of 1927 and 1928 in one go. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that would cause way more of an uproar Mm -hmm. than the popular Oscar could have dreamed of. But even more than that, I think that just with the plethora of films that will come out if Mm -hmm. they do that. I mean, they're not going to expand Best Picture to 20 nominations. Like, it's not going to happen that way. If it keeps going, though, I really, I mean, I have no idea. I I think they'll just go the virtual route. So do you want to get into our predictions for Best Picture? So we each put together a top five Best Picture predictions list at this point. And funnily enough, after we did this, we realized that we actually had the same five. I don't know if we were just like nervous or what was going on there. We just, we, our cancer brains are just always in sync. Just always in sync. And so we're going to cover those five. And then we're also going to be talking about films that we're really excited to see, but that we just couldn't commit to Mm -hmm. saying, I think this is going to get nominated for best picture just yet. So the first one that I have, I've already talked about a lot on this podcast, but I just cannot wait for it is David Fincher's Mank. Totally. I can't wait. I've talked about this, you know, so many times, but the reason why I picked this here was because it's David Fincher returning and it's a Hollywood story. It's all about the production and the writing of maybe the greatest film of all time, Citizen Kane. And when you have a story like that, that has a lot of history to it, I think that voters will be really excited about it. And I think he's a shoe in. No, I, I totally agree. I read about Herman Mankiewicz's history yesterday. And while the movie only focuses on a part of his history, I think his whole Hollywood timeline is super interesting. Also, fun fact, his grandson, Ben Mankiewicz, is the guy who's always on TCM before the movies. A lot of times he introduces them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He ends up bringing his brother Joseph in to Hollywood later. And then he becomes essentially more famous than Herman was. He directed All About Eve. I that love was probably All his About biggest. Eve. We both love. <laughs> well, that's exciting, though, because there's a lot of 
story there that we don't know. And that I'm just so curious how Fincher is going to tackle this. And I'm curious too how much of it is going to go into Pauline Kael's mm-hmm. story. Let's talk about a potential best actor showdown here. Or do you want to save that for when we talk about another film? Well, we can do it here. We might as well. Okay. I mean, so Gary Oldman is playing the, the titular role and we love to see Gary Oldman. We love it, right? I just like to say, like, we were right a couple of years ago when we said, I know we were on separate teams, you for Timmy, me for DDL, but yeah, in saying that Gary Oldman should not have gotten that Oscar because here's his chance. It's right here. Right. I mean, obviously, I, ho- I hope he kills it with this movie. Oh, yeah. But using The Darkest Hour as, like, for his time role, we both knew. I mean, he's got a lot more in him. So we have Timmy playing the main role in Dune. And I'm not sure if Timmy's going to be up for best actor. Do you know, like, much about the story? Or how do you feel about that? I mean, I think he is beloved enough. And it's a big enough project where I think it will be different than a supporting role in Little Women or his role in Beautiful Boy, which didn't end up panning out as well. So I can see it happening. I think that unfortunately in the best actor category, actors have to wait a long time a lot of times before they do end up winning. Mm -hmm. We do, of course, have exceptions to the rule, but I can see Timmy being one of those guys who is 60 and does his version of Scent of a Woman and gets his Oscar. Right. And that's a world I don't want to live in. Like I want him to get one sooner rather than later, but I don't know if he'll get nominated for Dune, but I think it's possible because I think it's going to be really good. And I, I trust Denis. So. Oh, totally. He, he and Timmy to me are like such a power duo. I'm so excited for this movie. The material is so imaginative and I just started reading the book and I like how it is. And honestly, I love imagining Timmy in this role, I would love to see them face off again. Timmy has had quite a few roles, even in just the past few years since Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. So he's not slowing down at all, which I like I like to see. We love to see it. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, I can't wait for it. So spoiler alert, Dune is not on our best picture predictions list, but right. we will talk about it more a little bit later. So another thing with Mank, Nick, do you know who's playing Orson Welles? I don't, not off the top of my head. None other than um, Anthony, your favorite character in The Souvenir, Tom Burke. No way. Yes way. Oh my gosh. He kind of looks like him though. I feel like that's like perfect casting. Was he that, he he wasn't that young. Orson was like big at Citizen Kane. Yeah, but I mean, I think Tom Burke's like in his 30s. Yikes, I do not like that. (laughs) You know, it's going to be it's going to be so sad when like Anthony Hopkins gets best actor for The Father, that movie that came out at Sundance, which (laughs) I haven't seen, but I heard good things. He'll get best actor and then we'll just have Tom Burke get best supporting actor and Timothy will be statueless again. These things. Yeah, these usually don't go the way I want them to go. So, yeah, Mank, very excited. It'll be a huge win, I think, for Netflix. At least I'm hoping so. And it's unlisted right now. It doesn't have a release date, but it's in post-production, I believe. They shot everything, so we can expect to get it 2020. Yeah, and it's Netflix, which I'll get into that more later, too. But I think 
there's a better chance for these Netflix movies to come out than than companies that have to do a VOD. This is one of my most anticipated for the fall. I can't wait. So our next one that we both had is actually another Netflix movie, and that is Hillbilly Elegy. Hillbilly Elegy is going to be another Netflix production, also in post. We don't have a date for it yet, but it is Ron Howard's version of the J.D. Vance very popular memoir set in Middletown, Ohio. So it covers a lot of struggle that this family goes through. And I have reasons I feel like to worry about it, just given its general tone and themes that this will be a film that voters will see and think this is really important. This is about this white class struggle and they will check that box, which is part of the reason why I put it on here. So the cast for this is amazing. Yeah. Love to see Amy Adams with Glenn Close and the revival of Frida Pinto, um, among many others. But And this had a huge deal. Netflix bought this for $45 million, which seems like a large amount to me. Yeah. Um, and then also Hans Zimmer is composing, which is really exciting. That's big. Kind of different for a drama, though, too. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I'm really curious how it'll turn out. I think it'll be good. I also think they're going to have this really incredible awards narrative for the Always the Bridesmaids, Never the Brides, Amy Adams and Glenn Close. Neither of them have won and have been nominated so many times. And I think they could both win here for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. Amy Adams is playing... Our main character's mom, who is struggling with addiction, and Glenn Close is playing his grandmother. So both pretty Mm -hmm. meaty parts. I think it'll be good. Very cool. We'll see. So next on our list is The Five Bloods, which is Spike Lee's next movie that's coming out June 12th, I believe. Also on Netflix. You can kind of see a little thread running through here. So this movie follows four African-American vets who had fought in the Vietnam War. And they go back to find this gold treasure that they had buried during the war. So to me, it seems like this interesting duality between flashback with the young soldiers and then having these older veterans. So it's incorporating multiple themes and as only Spike Lee could do. I mean, he's done he's done. Well, the Oscars, he won recently for Black Klansman for screenplay, and that was nominated for picture as well. So I think he has a really good chance here for, honestly, multiple nominations. I think so, too. One thing that really stood out to me when I was watching the trailer that I was really excited for is actually the editing. The reason why I picked this movie, in addition to Spike just being this outstanding, celebrated filmmaker, is the timing. It's coming out in June when we have such a drought. We just really want something good. At least I do. Like, I just want something that is just, that blows me away. I haven't, I think the last film that I saw that blew me away was The Irishman, which was like Thanksgiving. So it's been a long time and I'm ready. And I think that the timing, we often do have a summer release that comes in hot Mm -hmm. during awards time. Last year we had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think this could be that. So the next one we both have on our list is The Trial of the Chicago 7, released by Paramount. I think this has had 
a ton of buzz ever since Sorkin was attached to it for writing the screenplay. I think, I mean, he's phenomenal in everything he, he's made. The story is about, and I don't know anything about these people. It's a story of seven people on trial that were charged for promoting an uprising and riot at the 1968 DNC in Chicago. Um, I read somewhere that they wanted to make an example out of these people, so they charged them and went through this huge trial. So I think there's a lot of potential, like a drama court, a very politically charged movie coming out in the fall. The date right now is set for September 25th. I mean, that is, especially in a in an election year, that is like prime content. So this is going to be really interesting. The cast is wild. I mean, you go on Sasha Barrett Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, Jeremy Strong... John Carroll Lynch, who, if you don't know his name, is in the scariest scene in Zodiac. One of the scariest scenes so of all time. So scary. <laughs> yeah. Highly recommend Zodiac. Love it so much. Um, again, Fincher. So um, going on, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, Frank Langella, Michael Keaton, Mark Rylance, William Hurt. I mean, multiple... It's wild. Academy nominees, winners, definitely not passing the Bechdel test here, which... Sorkin has a problem with sometimes. Yeah, he does. It's unfortunate. (laughs) I want him to do better. I mean, it's an interesting story, and it's based on real events, so I think that adds to its appeal as well. Right. Yeah, it's... That's the thing. It's based on historical events. Those always do better, a lot of times in original stories. And you mentioned it, but that prime election spot, that is just, that's key. And I know my mom will be really excited for William Hurt. I will be really excited. And so will the rest of the um, Kendall Hive for Jeremy Strong. Maybe he'll get some love there. (laughs) (laughs) And even Joseph Gordon-Levin, I left him out. I mean, he's 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 a huge name. Where has he been? Yeah. Oh, my God. No, I I don't know. Yeah. Inception. he He was lost in the fifth dimension or whatever. I rewatched Inception. <laughs> I've changed my Do you hate it as it. much now? No, I, I actually liked it a lot a lot more. <laughs> Thank you. We'll talk about it another time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but let the record show. I'm an Inception fan now. <laughs> so very excited okay. for that one. Our last mm-hmm. prediction that we had is West Side Story, Spielberg's remake of the classic musical. I just, all signs point to nominations here, I feel. It's a remake of a classic. It's a musical. It's Spielberg. It's a December release date, and I think we've thought before, like, maybe that's too late. Sometimes it's not enough time to pick up buzz, but I think in this weird year that we're having, it'll be just fine if it comes out then. And I don't, I'm not, like, particularly excited about it. I'm more curious, but it just seems to me like one that's just total bait that people will go for. Yeah, no, I, I'm on the same page as you are. I'm. It's obviously a big name. It's kind of getting a yawn from me right now. I mean, you have Ansel playing the lead. I saw this on Broadway a couple months ago, pretty much right before quarantine started. And I know it's gotten a lot of critical mixed reviews. And there's some like big controversy about an actor on stage. But the rest of the production was amazing. There's a huge racial component to it, which I think is really important in the conflict that happens. And it doesn't seem to really 
crossover into the Spielberg adaptation. I th there are also obviously like a lot of problems with the original version too. I don't see why they don't like fully go in and do it the right way. I mean, you have Ansel playing Tony and this is like a musical. He's not the first person that comes to mind that could, you know, be this elegant, great Broadway singer, essentially in this main Italian role. I'm just going to say this. Of the LaGuardia High School graduates, I personally will be supporting Timothy Chalamet's bid for Best Actor over Ansel Elgort. I mean, honestly, any year. <laughs> that's just that's just how that goes. <laughs> okay, so those were our five. Let's talk a little bit about some that we're excited for, maybe not that excited for, but just curious about, that we can't commit to yet of giving... A best picture nomination we don't know if it's going to happen the first one that i have is annette i know that you've heard about annette <laughs> <laughs> i am so excited for this oh my gosh i can't wait but i'm also really scared oh i'm so mad this was delayed and like all the festival things were delayed because i'm assuming this was going to come out at Cannes. yeah and having how do you say his name i don't leo's carex that's how Adam Driver said it on the video where he <laughs> lost his dog. <laughs> Did you see that? When he lost his dog and Adam Driver posted that thing and he was like, we're looking for Javlo, no. Leo's Carex's dog. I guess I trust Adam. We're leaving that in. But anyway, this is Leo's Carex's follow-up to one of my favorite films actually of the past decade, Holy Motors, which is very bizarre on Canopy if you want to watch it. But this is actually a musical with Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. And it also features original music from the band Sparks. I just don't know what even to expect. It's so wild. I Holy Motors is one of my favorite of the past decade. And the fact that he's following this up with a musical and these these actors specifically is I am so excited to see this. Yeah, and he, I guess, said that it's going to be 95% music. So we're we're in for a ride, whatever that means. Let's do it. Which is great. I, I'm all here for it. Yeah, I love that. He's a he's a weirdo with talking cars. I'm. It's that world I'm, I'm ready for. It. <laughs> so the next one we've kind of talked about it already is Dune. So other categories here for me, I think cinematography is going to be interesting. So all of Danny's films have amazing cinematography. He doesn't always work with the same DP, which is interesting that they all kind of have this similar look. So he definitely has a say in what is shown and how things are shown, which is great. So I think I'm fairly certain that's going to translate here into Dune. So the DP cinematographer here is Greg Frazier. He's worked on a few productions before he was actually nominated for Lion for Best uh, Cinematography at the Oscars. Oh, I love Lion. Yeah, that was in listening to some of his videos where he talks about the decisions for shooting things is really interesting. I love that stuff. And he's also in production for the Batman, which is cool. So he's definitely going places too. the Robert Pattinson yes. Batman. <laughs> That's what I'm renaming it now. <laughs> I haven't seen Lynch's adaptation and I don't really know much about the story in general. I know it's going to be epic. Have you seen Lynch's? So I'm a big David Lynch fan. I'm almost afraid to talk about him on this podcast because I know that Lynch fans are very, very specific. What I will say about this one is that if you do come across interviews 
talking about David Lynch in Dune, he has expressed that he doesn't really have an interest in seeing Denis' take on Dune. And before you kind of jump to conclusions and think that he's being snarky, he is really sad about his version of Dune. It was a major bomb, especially after The Elephant Man. And he has expressed that his kind of original vision didn't make it through. And he actually wanted his name to be mm-hmm. removed from the film entirely. His version is not my favorite. I don't like it. I think if you want to check out David Lynch films, there are plenty of others to watch. But I cannot wait for Denise's version. I think that technical categories will be big here. We've already talked a little bit about best sound. And you talked about cinematography. But I think there are so many possibilities here. And just thinking that from seeing a couple of stills from the film and then also... Just seeing, I think, his past works and what a prominent director he has been for the 2010s as a decade. I can't wait to see how he enters this one. So our next one is a little bit of a left turn is the movie Deep Water. So Deep Water is Adrian Lyne's return. He did Nine and a Half Weeks, Fatal Attraction. He's a big director of the erotic thriller. And we haven't really had a lot of those. I mean, they were really big back in the 80s and 90s, but it's kind of fallen off. But this is the catalyst for the real-life relationship of Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas, we can assume. This cast is just very hot. It's like catnip to me, honestly. Jacob Elordi from Euphoria is in it. and I saw that and I jumped out of my right? seat. I was like, wow. Which erotic thriller also ties himself to euphoria and he seems perfect for this so exactly and there's a case to be made where i don't need an erotic thriller with jacob Elordi, but since <laughs> euphoria is not coming back for the time being right production installed i'll be happy to get this one and it's another patricia highsmith novel which we love here and we got what we wish for like if we get a taste of ripley here i'll, I'll be totally happy so this is very interesting and especially because disney is releasing it crazy which is so weird when you put it out in the outline i was like are you sure isn't this (laughs) an erotic thriller (laughs) but you're right and i think whether or not it's good that aside i think this is going to be just an enjoyable watch at home like it's not necessarily one that you need to go to the theater for right i think Some people might rather want to watch this at home with their friends or partners instead of strangers, but I think that can only really add to it. I mean, Ripley and Carol, which she wrote the original material for, those films did really well at the Oscars. So yeah, even even though this doesn't sound like a typical Oscar movie off the bat, I definitely agree. It's still going to be enjoyable, interesting, thrilling. So my next movie that I'm really excited for is Minari. I think I've talked about it before. I don't even know anymore, but I've seen it. I loved it. I think it could be a huge Oscar contender in multiple categories. I can't wait to see this. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, so I'll just kind of read from the book on this. So IMDb says this is about a Korean family who moves to Arkansas to start a family in the 1980s. So it's a really down-to-earth film. It's heartwarming. I mean, it's on the slower side, but not in a bad way. The father, played by Steven Yeun, is a farmer. And honestly, they're just trying to survive in America. And it's 
really touching. There's some super funny moments between the members of the family, but it's shot beautifully. Again, cinematography here. I've said this word so many times on every single pod. (laughs) I think it's, there's a potential for Steven Yoon as well. I mean, in the past, we've seen him snub before for Burning, and honestly, Burning could have been nommed for mm-hmm. cinematography, too. Yeah. So, And international feature and everything else. Ugh, I love Burning. Yeah, so while I think all of this could happen, I could also totally see snubs happening again. And also, like, the farewell for picture. I think that was such a strong contender, and so is Minari. And it won the Audience Award and the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, which is huge. That is huge. And I think too often we get our hopes up for these A24 movies we love and that are quieter sometimes. But if this does do really well and it does well with critics and at festivals, then I'll keep my fingers crossed, especially for Steven Yeun. I'm excited for I'm excited for you to see this too <laughs> and your your opinions. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. So my next one I have, I actually don't know too much about. Um, and that is I'm thinking of ending things. Have you heard of this? No, but I looked up the book last night and it sounded interesting. The book I do not spook easily. The book is scary. Like it there are stretches of it that are so creepy. And where I was like, oh, oh my gosh, like I'm, the suspense is real, right? Like it very much is a psychological thriller. And Charlie Kaufman, he is writing and directing. He did Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, Lucas Zoll is doing the cinematography. He did the cinematography for Cold War, which I love that cinematography. So I expect it to look good. And it also has Jesse Plemons, Jesse Buckley, and Tony Collette which eclectic really interesting cast yeah and i'm just really excited to see how this book translates into a film because it was one of my favorite books of the past year that i read if you do want to check out the book i highly recommend it it is a really quick read it'll take you a day or two tops to get through but yeah i'm really excited this is also a netflix film as well i i read on goodreads that they compared it was his debut novel and they compared it to under the skin and we need to talk about kevin both movies i love both that are horrifying and i haven't read either of these books but i can only imagine i think those films are really similar actually i didn't think of either of those when i was reading but now that you say it i can definitely see the similarities and i'm i'm really excited already for the big reveal in this film can't wait oh boy oh my gosh (laughs) so another movie i think a lot of people have heard about already is The French Dispatch, Wes Anderson's next film to come out. Huge cast, as always, and a lot of his same, which is fine by me. I love all of them. So the movie is about an anthology of stories that were written for the namesake publication, The French Dispatch. So it goes through these little stories, and I'm interested to see how he brings them together. And I think... Again, like many of his films before, there's a potential for multiple category nominations. Acting, I I mean, I can't even guess right now because there are so many names. And it really just depends probably who has more screen time. And then, but also director or picture or cinematography. Grand Budapest Hotel had a few nominations for him. And his last four films have received at least one nomination. So... 
I think it's super likely here that there's something for him. And if it's as good as it looks, I think he'll receive even more. I think so, too. I can't wait. I know that some people are critical of Wes Anderson's films, calling them twee. I love them. I think they're beautiful. I also really am excited for the juxtaposition of the black and white and the color with think and hope that it's great and that there are a lot of awards possibilities there. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of dramas lately as we're preparing for early 2000s pod and I need something fun. And I love that he always alternates between like stop motion and having live action movies. So me too. We should probably have a West pod. I, I would like that. Oh, we should. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait for that. That'll be so fun. And I think we have a lot of similar tastes in West, but have different ones that we really like too, that we can mm-hmm. talk about. So our last one we've already mentioned a few times and at the top of this pod is Tenant. I'm just really excited for another Nolan. Yeah. Oh, always. I'm, I mean, once he's tied to something, I follow it, you know, every step of the way. And it's probably the biggest movie of the year, I want to say. I mean, it was supposed to be a summer pick, which he usually does anyway, but huge budget. I think, too, with Tenet, because there is so much hype and talk around it right now about when it will be released, the hype is only growing for it. And that can be really good or it can be really bad. Mm-hmm. So that's why I couldn't commit necessarily to putting it on the best picture list, but I can't wait to see it. It has a three hour plus runtime, which is really <laughs> tough. I'm also curious to see if this gets similar awards love to Dunkirk, where he gets a nomination for best director, best picture, technicals, or if it's going to be more like an interstellar, one where he doesn't pick up as much, but that I loved yeah yeah totally i think dunkirk was a little bit of a blip because it had this historical fact to it and i think academy members respond to that really positively just in terms of war picks over time and if this is just another like time-bending action thriller from nolan it probably won't i think like i said earlier sound and potentially some of the technicals it could though so and inception did really well with nominations so maybe screenplay yeah. yeah Yeah, who knows? I'm already starting to like theorize. We'll see. I think another one we haven't really talked about here is News of the World as like another potential picture. I don't really know much about it yet. I know it's a Paul Greengrass picture and Tom Hanks is attached to as the lead. Greengrass obviously did United 93, which was nominated. And then The Born Supremacies, Captain Phillips. So There's definitely potential here. It's about a Texan. I think it's like related to a true story. I don't know. It's expected to come out on Christmas and December 25th, and it's in post right now. So I think there's a lot of potential for it. So far, things are still very up in the air, just generally. So another one, I know I keep throwing them in here, is On the Rocks, Sofia Coppola's next movie. And it's uh, a reunion for her with Bill Murray from their time with Lost in Translation, which was another nomination. And I think there's definitely potential here. It seems to be similar in Bill and Scarlett's dynamic as it will be here with Bill and Rashida Jones. So I'm really intrigued by this. Sofia Coppola usually has an interesting way with things. And I did just rewatch Lost in Translation again for the 2000 pod and I loved it I didn't remember everything from it and I think the ending was so unique and how that all came about was very organic so I'm 
This one intrigues me, and it's it's with Apple TV Plus and A24, which I think I know they have a collab going on, and we haven't seen anything from them yet. Also, between them is Boy State. They acquired for $12 million, which is big for a documentary. So I think Apple TV Plus is slowly making its way. So I'm excited for this movie, for their collab together, and what's in store for them. I am really excited for both On the Rocks and Boy State. With On the Rocks, I'm really excited for anything that Sofia Coppola makes, and especially with her teaming up with Bill Murray again. I think it'll be really fun, and I'm excited for that. And Boy State, I didn't know anything about until last night when I read about it, and it sounds like a really interesting documentary and something that will be a really good doc collaboration between Apple TV Plus and A24. And I think too, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, that I think documentaries actually will be one of the primary beneficiaries of going more towards VOD with awards because docs are just really satisfying at home. Like I love just throwing on a documentary and I think that one like Boys State that is about a really interesting subject matter, but that has that kind of A24i plus Apple TV plus will be a really great addition. And we can maybe expect some awards buzz there too. A big documentary that was just released on streaming was The Painter and the Thief. It sounds like a really, really interesting topic. And I think this could be a really big contender for the Oscars too. So like you say, I'm, I'm all for watching us at home and streaming and so those are our predictions and what we're excited for honestly i'm just so excited for anything at this point i think (laughs) film wise but it's good to know that we have a lot of great films to look forward to from some of our favorite directors so i think we've talked about enough of this for now and we're both really excited for the rest of the year and all these movies coming out i'm excited to hear about more changes that happen hopefully for the better Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Stay safe.